Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm honored to have two really great industry analysts from Topo. The first is Dan Gottlieb. Dan is an industry analyst for sales development and account-based. And the second is Craig Rosenberg, co-founder and chief analyst there at Topo, and his teams cover sales development, sales, account-based, demand generation, customer experience, so a little bit of everything. I will ask Dan and Craig the same two questions as I always love to ask to get to know you guys a little bit better. So Dan, when I start with you, what is your favorite sales book of all time and why? My favorite sales book of all time is Jeffrey Gitmer's Little Red Book of Sales Answers. And I'm torn between his 12 and a half principles for sales greatness or his 99 sales answers. It's super practical. I remember being a new sales rep and somebody recommending that book to me, picking it up and thinking, this is super practical, to the point, no fluff, no frills, very actionable. His tone is very much so, look, I've been here. This is what you, the things that you need to do to be successful. It's not all perfectly rosy. It takes a lot of hard work. And it served more as a playbook for me earlier in my career because it just sat on my desk and I could open it up when I had I needed one of those little red sales answers. How about for you, Craig? What was your favorite sales book of all time? You know, I really like Dave Brock's Sales Manager Survival Guide. I do feel like everything's about conceptually how you engage, whereas this was how you manage a sales team, right? So it was very unique content, in my opinion. And then um, when I first got out of UCLA, I was a teacher for a year and then I was going to transition, go figure out what I wanted to go do. And so I looked around and I found this guy who went to UCLA, was in my fraternity, older, you know, a little bit older. And my sister-in-law knew him. So she hooked me up with him. He's like, oh, yeah, bring the guy in. So I walk in, he looks at me and literally looks me up and down and goes, well, first of all, you need a suit. I didn't even know. I had a coat on. I thought that was a suit. And he's like, so do me a favor. Next time you come in here, wear a better suit. It's literally the first thing he said to me. And then he said, so why do you want to be in sales? I gave some hack answer and whatever. He's like, okay, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to read this book. Now, here's the thing. It's out of print. It's called Sales Mastery. There's a new Sales Mastery book, unfortunately. It's actually a fiction book about a guy, a down-on-his-luck salesperson who has no pipelines, got hit the It's a really good book, believe it or not. And um, he gets a new manager, and she's very good at value selling. He's really to take a deal. Someone comes in, it's this big deal, says, you know, I have this RFP and here's what I need and here's the price. And then he's got another deal where he's going to go do deep discovery, right? Figure out what they want to go do. And it takes a little bit more work. Obviously, she helps him do the, the value-driven deal and get the big, big deal, the biggest deal of all time and has him turn away the RFP. And it's truly a book. It's fictional, it's compelling, and you learn a lot from it. That was my first one, and it helped. The one other question before we get into the creative touch patterns in the future, I'd love to hear, what was the first thing you ever remember selling? 16 years old. I was cold calling and selling the fake, you won something to get them into Tahoe to get sold timeshares, right? So people would fill out cards at the supermarket and then we would cold call them and our goal to close them to get paid 
was to get them to agree to come up for this Wheel of Fortune spin in their office in Tahoe. And then obviously when they get in there, the hard press comes on to go sell them timeshare. And so that was my first one. You know how long I lasted? How, how long? It was three weeks. I competed hard. I sold a lot of this. But then it was literally like the movies. We all started to figure out what was happening. And one of us called someone who had already been up there. And this woman told us everything like, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I go in there. The big prizes have this little sliver. You spin this wheel and then they spend three hours getting you to try to buy a timeshare. And it's the worst experience of all time. They won't let you leave. And, you know, you do have to care about what you sell. And it's not cool to just say I could sell everything. You know, my favorite quote was Steve Richard when he said years ago, he said, the worst parable or saying or whatever in sales is that person could sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, right? And it's like, if you don't want to sell it, you know, that doesn't sound very fun, you know? And um, that was my big learning. I still liked sales, but man, you got to feel good about what you're doing for people. As icky as the timeshare thing is, if it has one positive thing, it's that you're actually giving people like some degree of value, right? Because they get the trip to Tahoe. But I also wonder, I mean, the modern equivalent of that in B2B sales is I get a lot of invitations basically to go to some interesting locale. It's a free trip, right? And, and in exchange, you're at a quote unquote conference. And at the conference, it really is just a bunch of vendors pitching to you in one-on-ones. Do you think that's the modern equivalent of the B2B timeshare? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. The only difference is you're not learning about it at a strange airport transfer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. What do you think is a better way for sellers to add value during prospecting? The reason I ask this is, right, almost everybody wants to or not wants to, but they're all told that they should add value during every touch. And yet, I mean, we know that almost every touch is just basically the people telling us about themselves. So what do you think are some good low scale and high scale ways to add value in the early touches? Adding value in the early touches or conversations is a mindset. And there are tactical things that you can do. It's all about putting the mind, the worldly experiences and the business problems of that person at the forefront of your mind and thinking, what are the things that they were worrying about? There's very tactical ways that you can add value, like try to create some kind of relevance. So talking about other people, similar people and using storytelling as a way to intrigue and engage, right? We're constantly engaged in formerly 160 character stories, right? And so abbreviated stories to, to garner interest, but also create relevance that this is something that other people are worrying about. You're not alone can be really valuable. So you can meet someone in the middle in more of a human way and say, look, this is a book that I have found has helped me a lot to stay productive. And you can meet them there in more creative ways to add value too, right? As a way of positioning yourself as somebody that is thoughtful. And that's where that mindset piece can be helpful to prevent you from limiting yourself to be focused on just business problems. Dan, I wanna ask you, what was the first thing you remember selling? And then we'll get back into this. When I was in eighth grade, my neighbor, Julian, we would just mess around in the neighborhood together. And there was this big snowstorm. And Julian called me up and he was like, hey, come on over here. And he had rigged up two of his tractors with some snow chains and was like, let's go out and plow people's driveways. And so we went down and we got out the phone book 
we just called up and down the neighborhood and we're like, hey, you know, Dan and Julian, we lived out uh, around the corner in the neighborhood. It snowed. Do you want us to comply your driveway? And people were like, how old are you? Yeah. And we kind of looked at each other. We're like, ah, 16, 17. We were like 14, 15. And they're like, yeah, sure. Come on, die. So we went and we plowed an entire neighborhood's worth of driveways. And we made a lot more money than than we told our parents that we did. (laughs) And so it was an opportunity for us. And I remember vividly sort of thinking to myself, like, all right, if we want to make this money today, I have to pick up the phone, call everyone in our neighborhood and ask if they want us to come plow the driveway. And I had no idea what that skill would do for me later in my life, in my career, or what it really actually was. Going back to where you were with meeting people with where they are with messaging, I was talking to somebody who had done an A-B test recently, and they were comparing one type of personalization to another, one type of personalization being the factoids about them more personally, but not necessarily with business context, you know, referencing their job or whatever it happened to be. Things that showed you were a human being writing the personalized part of the email, but not necessarily value added Mm -hmm. versus something that was more value added, like referencing an industry statistic or that sort of thing. With the customers you guys have talked to, have you seen them test those types of ideas as well? Absolutely. There's an element of where if I'm training an SDR to craft these kinds of messages, I would certainly have a, a more of a maturity model when it comes to conveying value. So sort of personal factoids would be more level one. You're showing your research. And I think those are acceptable, but not great. But they'll get the job done. But then the groups that are a little bit more insightful, what matters there is making sure as a team, you try to capture some of those so that you can leverage them again. And you can talk about them as a team. Look at this. How long did it take you to craft it? And so you can try to recreate the process of how they arrived at that kind of a sharing that kind of value or insight in an email. I mean, I guess to make it even like bring it closer to home, Craig, when people prospect you, what do you expect? How do you want to be prospected? Every sort of sales methodology tries to come back to pain and challenges. And that's great. But if you're going to talk to an exec, they want big ideas. And that's a little bit different. What I want to know is how can I go to 2x revenue? And what are those ideas? So what are the best prospecting emails? There's been a couple over the years. And those people came to me, Jeremy, you'll enjoy this, and said, in various words, I can tell you what Gartner did to get to where they are. And I have some ideas based on where you are to take from that, right, that we can apply. Do you want to talk about it? I'm the same way. I I think there's sort of two categories. One is, I know I have this particular problem. But I don't necessarily know what the solution is. And if you give me a great idea for the solution, you know, great. And that great idea can't just be basically your generic value propositions. And I do, if I'm going to take a call, I really want at least one nugget that I can take away, even if I don't do business with you, and immediately apply. The other one is not, I know I have this problem, but it's basically, I know that I need to meet or exceed our company's revenue goals or sales productivity or whatever, something very high level. And if you bring me something that is going to be able to do that with a sufficient ROI, then I'm going to have the conversation. It's basically bring me an idea. Don't just try to ask me discovery questions. That's the thing that nobody talks about the really good sales reps do is they gravitate towards the big picture and try to show executives how they can take their business to the next level. That is a major differentiator and something you can express in your prospecting. 
Absolutely. You know, we talked a lot about some of the messaging and the approach stuff. Dan, I know you got some great thoughts on how touch patterns will evolve in the future beyond the standard phone and email and the occasional social touch. So let's go there a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's a really connected to that broader theme of meeting prospects where they are. You know, when we think about the traditional channels of email and phone and how really we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking about how to get better and smarter about leveraging the combination of all of our different channels together. There's different technologies and, and different trends that are emerging that are asking us to question, right, can we start experimenting with channels that we're not maybe as used to? And there's two big ones that come to mind. The first one is using chat as an outbound tool. And the second one is, in some cases, in some industries and for some roles, centering the prospecting effort around engaging with somebody over LinkedIn and around building a connection over LinkedIn centered around value. Those two themes, they, they really do present this creative opportunity for how we think about and manage right, outbound prospecting. Let's go deep on both of those. What does it mean to use chat as an outbound tool beyond sort of what you see today, which is people come to a website and you know the little chat thing pops up in the lower right of the window and so on. So how is what you're describing different than that? Chat vendors are working on functionality and in some cases have functionality that allow you to design very quickly, more or less custom landing pages right, with just a couple of clicks that you can insert that are unique to companies or individuals. What that means is similar to the way that you can share a piece of content as a hyperlink in a message, you can share a unique chat as a hyperlink in a message. And so what that invites is a different way of messaging because I can say, hey, look, if you're interested with me, we can literally spend five minutes answering a couple of questions, chatting about this. And so I'm using my email messaging, I'm using my phone messaging to create awareness around this other channel around which you can engage with me, right? So I know that when somebody clicks on that link out of my prospecting message, they're not just clicking my link to go to that piece of that blog content or that white paper or that webinar. They're literally going to a chat window to chat with me. And that's really interesting. And so there's a couple of things that it opens up. Number one is it invites another channel for buyer preference, right? Because if I want to chat with you, that's a great way to do it. And the second one is it opens up meeting time, engagement time to windows of time within their day. Everybody knows that there are calls that are better for multitasking and calls you should never multitask on, right? And it invites an opportunity for somebody to engage in a conversation with you during one of those multitask opportunities where they normally wouldn't. And it's different from email. It's a separate place from email. I like this idea. Instead of taking them to a static page, you bring them to a dynamic chat experience. You see a lot of the chat vendors will have AI, machine learning, whatever you want to call it. What are you seeing? Are you seeing people bring them to the starter AI experience? Or are you seeing them bring them directly to a human experience, a true human experience? We're seeing them do a little bit of both. And it depends on where you are on the website. If I'm going straight to a pricing page, I want to route that right to the SDR that cares the most about you. The fact that you're on that pricing page. If you're browsing around other parts of the website, right, and there are, there are lower intent pages, I don't mind having a bot there to help triage and answer some of those questions. There are other companies, too, that have a high volume of traffic to their websites 
that are interested in chat, not for the sales related use case, especially for heavily product centric businesses. And so in those use cases, the bot can be really helpful in figuring out whether or not you actually are somebody that should speak to sales in that that's your intent and in coming to the website before deciding who to route you to. So it's a little bit of a combination of both. I think each business needs to, to really think differently about it. In this model that I'm talking about, in this world where we're thinking, hmm, who is worth the time to go develop these custom pages and links for, right? That's usually for a, a more specific set of target accounts. In those groups, right, it makes a lot more sense to limit that outbound chat to just them. So it is a combination of both. There's a lot more potential for the bots as they continue to get smarter and smarter and study what really thoughtful chat reps are saying and how prospects are responding. And once those bots start to get a lot smarter and more conversational, then I think we'll see that bot used and relied on a lot more often. I do like Dan, like this idea that I'm offering another way to engage right on the chat side, but those engagements are, are for the humans today, right? We'll see how smart the bots get. I am big on bots, but I'm big on them to take mundane away and continue to focus our human resources, our very good, highly enabled human resources against the highest of value people, accounts, and engagement. And if we do that, that's how I think we should be thinking about this, all of this technology. How can we do that better? And so anyway, when I think about bots, when I think about chat, I'm very supportive of both, but I do think it should come back to this big idea, which is let's get our best people talking to their best people and everything we can do to get rid of everything else in between and everything we can do to make that happen, we're going to go do. I also did want to touch briefly, I guess, going back to you, Dan, on centering your prospecting effort around LinkedIn. Can you say key takeaways on, on how to do that most effectively for people? You know, what's interesting is that this came out of studying what some of the top performing sales development reps in Europe have been doing, especially in the back half of 2018. Because of the GDPR scare, right, of 2018, a lot of companies effectively shut down outbound prospecting using traditional email phone methods from out of their contact database and said, we can't do this, no longer allowed, right, figure it out. And so obviously, if you're a rep and you still have a quota, what are you going to do? They all flocked to LinkedIn. And so what we're talking about here is instead of your first having a, sending a cold email, leaving a cold voicemail, using a couple days in advance of profile views or perhaps uh, following somebody to create awareness around you as a person, right? Hey, look, I'm, I'm looking at your profile. I'm engaging with your content on LinkedIn in some way, shape, or form, right? So create some degree of awareness around who you are, followed by a very personalized connection request. And that connection request is ultimately designed to convey that, hey, look, I have value to provide to you. I have big ideas. We both have big ideas. I'd love to connect with you to share those ideas, to learn more about your ideas, right? And ultimately, just throw that intention out there. The key is following up with that intention if they accept your request. Once you are accepted as that connection request, thinking about, okay, how do I now thoughtfully engage in a conversation, right? One sharing content with somebody, two, 
actually asking them a big open-ended question about what they think about something, or three, commenting on something that they have created, genuinely trying to start a conversation centered around value. In that world now, you've got multiple ways to engage over time and intentionally try to position yourself as somebody that they can get answers from. So it's a longer play. And so in this world, right, it's how many genuine connections did you make on LinkedIn as a performance indicator of how well they're leveraging those connections to generate initial conversations, right? So it's not really novel, it's not new, but it's valuable enough and it's productive enough based off of some of the things that we've seen out of reps in Europe making their number off of this strategy, that it's something you can confidently build an outbound strategy around when you're trying to build relationships, right? I totally agree. And I, I would say that once you're connected, also the other thing that has been insanely effective lately, both for us as well as our customers, is the use of LinkedIn video messages and even just LinkedIn audio messages. Those things are both getting insane response rates right now, partially because of novelty, but maybe there's something even more to it than that. The big thing for me is like LinkedIn, not new, right? There, remember the social selling push? I mean, it went crazy. And at the time, social selling sort of came up. Email was still crushing it. You really didn't need you know, to do much there. Now things are starting to change and right, pushing us to LinkedIn, making us change how we email and, and engage. And the big thing for me is you got to break the landing page economy. That's a stick them up, right? Oh, you want this? Fill out this landing page, right? It's the same thing for sales. It's like, you got an 80-page ebook, just give it to them. You're on LinkedIn. They're asking a question. They're trying to solve something. Give. Don't ask for anything back. Just give. In today's world, right, if you want to deliver value without talking to people, you have to give and you got to be willing to give away highly valuable things. LinkedIn is that place. We're in an unprecedented time where things are much harder. But on the other hand, we have our customers and buyers that are sharing what's going on in their life publicly. And can we leverage that to add real value? And you have to think of the biggest thing you can give. You know, that, that's really important. And, and I don't know that that's how we think. Looking back on our conversation, I'm going to net it out into three things. Number one, execs want ideas and everyone wants big value. Number two is get creative about the channels that you use to engage your prospects when you're delivering that value, especially via chat and some of these innovative ways of centering your conversation around LinkedIn. And then number three is align your expensive and precious humans with your most high value accounts. So I think all three great topics that we talked through. Well, Craig, Dan, thank you so much. If people want to learn more about Topo and want to learn more about you guys, how, how do they do that? So the website is topohq.com. I think you'll get a good view of what we do. And the blog is excellent. We give on the blog. And then um, my Twitter handle is Funnelholic. For me, it, it would definitely be uh, find me on LinkedIn. Or you could find me on Twitter, but I'm not as fun and exciting as the Funnelholic on Twitter. My Twitter handle is this guy thinks. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.